Welcome to In This Case, a podcast from Hilti that goes behind the scenes at one of the most iconic brands in the world of construction. We'll talk to the people who make it all happen and ask them who, how, what if, and of course, why. Here's your host, Claire Combs. According to the United Nations, 1.6 billion people live in inadequate housing. On today's episode, we'll dig into that number to understand the experience of living without adequate shelter, the housing market in developing communities, emerging technologies that can make a difference, and what the philanthropic community is doing to help. My name is uh, Johan Barr. I'm a member of the executive board of the Hilti Foundation and in charge of our affordable housing and technology portfolio. The idea at the Hilti Foundation is really that we want to help families in need, focusing on the global south, to take life into their own hands and develop their life with their own efforts. And having a safe place to live is one of the most important conditions. Having a safe and secure place to live is critically important to a person's ability to thrive. But the goal of the Hilti Foundation's program is bigger than that. Because when families are able to improve their housing situations, the effects can ripple. And that ties perfectly to the Foundation's mission to create bigger, more sustainable change for the communities that they serve. When you think about it, there is much more to a house than just safety and health. It's an enabling environment for your kids. And there are also studies that say when you have a proper and well-established house, it reduces family violence, domestic violence. And then ownership of a house obviously is an asset. It provides you with some kind of creditworthiness. You have you, you can go to a bank or to a microfinance institution to ask for a loan and it gives you financial security, which is a life-changing experience for many many families that don't have much on their savings side. I mean, when you when you think about the families which we try to support, it's mostly families that live in informal settlements. Most of them will have a daily income of less than $2 per day. So in fact, there's very little that they can do to, to raise their, their standard of living. For many of them, it's the first time to have a, a, an address which they can use to register with public authorities, which they can put on an application letter for a job. And it changes something in the way you integrate yourself in society. On the one hand, it's a it's a cultural issue, but at the same time, if you register with authorities, you can participate in elections, for example. You're sort of formalized as a citizen, and that makes a big difference for, for many people as well. Earlier in the series, we learned that the Hilti Foundation typically works through partner organizations with subject matter expertise. And that same approach extends to their work in affordable housing and technology. Hi, my name is Scott Merrill. I'm Senior Director of Habitat for Humanity's Terwilliger Center for Innovation and Shelter. I'm located in Atlanta, Georgia. Habitat for Humanity International is a is a housing organization and we serve uh, people all over the world uh, who don't have access to adequate and affordable housing. Wherever you happen to live on the planet, the first step in any home buying process is financing. Understanding what you can spend and having access to the funds to purchase your property. For people experiencing poverty, accessing capital that they can use to improve their living situation can be a major hurdle. And so that is actually 
the led to the genesis of what is the Terwilliger Center for Innovation and Shelter, where we are trying to actually work to make the markets more inclusive so that people can have the agency themselves to buy the products and services that they need in order to improve their own living conditions. One of the ways to support more inclusive markets for developing communities is by expanding the use of microfinancing, which is the practice of offering banking services to people that would not qualify for those same services in a traditional financial marketplace. You know, many people in in the global south rely on on microfinance. So, you know, small loans that are given to start and kind of run and help grow kind of micro enterprises. So these small, often home-based businesses that people engage in, right? So they could be small informal shops, it could be buying a dairy cow and selling the milk. You know, there's there's many different types of businesses that people borrow microfinance for. We recognize that like 20 to 30% of those enterprise loans were actually being diverted towards housing. But when you look at the terms of those loans, right, they're the durations are often very short. The size of the loans are very small. So really there wasn't, people couldn't make meaningful improvements to their homes because, you know, they just, it wasn't a big enough amount of money. It wasn't targeted for housing. And then the durations were so short that people sometimes had trouble paying it back. And so we started to say, what would a housing loan look like if it was a microfinance loan? So if that idea feels pretty familiar or straightforward, it might seem odd that home-based microfinancing wasn't already widely in use. But like all good ideas, it took organizations like Habitat International who were willing to build the infrastructure, together with partners who could extend funding to get the concept off the ground. Actually, Hilti Foundation was a really important early supporter of the microbuild fund and then provided us with some grants that we we were able to support microfinance institutions in order to develop housing loan products that they could could lend it's basically a um, a fund a pool of money that invests into um, microfinance organizations today in more than 30 countries globally and helps them these microfinance organizations to uh, integrate housing as an important field into their business operations, whereas typically microfinance organizations would have invested into uh, smallhold farming, for example. Housing was not a typical field for microloans for families. And the idea of the MicroBuild Fund was to change that in order to provide families with more money to invest into their house and in this sense create development for them. And at the same time, it was an interesting business opportunity for for investors that wanted to invest into this fund. And it also did so successfully in uh, in terms of the the returns on investment. I think we've lent out over $140 million to microfinance institutions. So for me, that's really one great example um, of how you can create a project that works from a business perspective and at the same time in terms of impact. So home financing is step one. But as the team was quick to point out, funding mechanisms are not the only ways in which homeownership looks different in developing communities. Internationally, the the housing markets work in very different ways than they work in in North America. We started to think about 
about how do families who live in such circumstances, what is the reality of uh, how they built? So most people, that, you know, there's 1.6, over 1.6 billion people who lack adequate housing. 70%, 80% of the, the population in the global south access housing through what we call incremental construction. So whenever 50 or $100, maybe on the savings side, they might decide to invest it into their house. And that's how millions of people worldwide improve their housing standard. So they build a little bit over time as they get some money, they get some savings, maybe they're getting some remittances from, from family who live abroad. And little by little, they'll add a room, they'll improve their walls, they'll put a better roof on, on uh, their home. They might change the flooring or put a new paint on the wall, or they may even put a, a room on top of the house because the family is growing. You know, I had someone last week, actually, when I, when I told this story, they said, in the U.S., in North America, we'll take out a 30-year mortgage and we get our fully constructed house right away and we spend our the 30 years just paying back the, the loan that we get for that mortgage. Most people who are building in, in the global south, they're building themselves slowly over 30 years as they get the time and ability in order to be able to take that. So in some ways, the journey is very is the same amount of time, but it looks very different. Another important point that Scott made was that even though the journey looks quite different, in the countries where this type of self-building is most common, the residential construction markets are still designed to support more formal building practices. What we have seen is that most of the products and services are designed to serve the more formal sector. And so actually what that means is that, you know, low-income people and, and actually even many middle-class people aren't able to get products and services that are designed to meet their needs. So, which they operate in this informal sector where they're building incrementally, you know, little by little bit over time. So we tend to think of these people as a, a an invisible segment of the market, right? So, you know, the you know, large material company, they're concerned with and they know who their large distributors are. They may know a few large developers that they sell directly to, but they don't often have that touch point at the last mile of that person living in an urban slum or the who are buying it from an informal hardware store, you know, that's three, five steps removed in their in their distribution chain or a someone who's living in a rural village you know kind of very remote area they just have no idea of of who these customers are and what their real needs are and that's what we try to help with products and technologies that specifically target the needs of low-income families when we think of technology and innovation we often don't think of that sort of base of the pyramid where most people live as an area that is sort of ripe for adoption of new technologies. But at the same time, I think that one of the issues that we see is that people just aren't innovating for that that population, right? They're not trying to, to help people adopt a new technology or create technologies that meet the needs of this invisible segment of the market. 
Of course, the thing about invisible segments is that once they're seen, they can be helped. So in addition to supporting home ownership through microfinance, the Hilti Foundation has taken a very hands-on approach to improving building processes and technology for communities in need. I mean, when you think about the projects of the Hilti Foundation, those in the affordable housing fields naturally are sort of the closest to, to what Hilti does because we are an engineering company. And what we try to do, and we really put a lot of efforts into this right now, is to make the expertise and experience of our colleagues globally available for our projects. This year, for example, we started what we call a tech accelerator program in Southeast Asia and also in the Andean region in Latin America. The idea is that we discover the most convincing startups from the region that innovate products for low-cost housing. So it might be a brick made from agricultural waste. It could be a digital platform that connects low-cost builders with developers and low-income families to build their home. Or it could be a sanitation project that provides dry water toilets in remote areas of, of Peru. And in addition to harvesting great ideas from motivated developers and entrepreneurs, the tech accelerator concept can also be used to target very specific needs. We've put out a challenge for the Philippines, actually, on how do we help retrofit homes that were built without a foundation so that they're more earthquake and typhoon resilient. And so we're actually in the process. We ha- we got about 80 submissions. We're in the process now of, of narrowing that down to the top four or so that we're going to, to be testing in partnership, actually, with Base uh, Baha'i, which is another Hilti Foundation partner. The Base Baha'i Foundation develops technologies using locally grown and renewable material to create housing envelopes and designs suited to the needs of local communities. The organization is headquartered in the Philippines and has become a world leader in bamboo technology for residential construction. And the story of how the Base Baha'i Foundation began and why they zeroed in on bamboo as a building material, well, that story begins in Liechtenstein. It's actually a great story uh, why we started to build with bamboo. It started with the master thesis of a Hilti engineer. So my name is Corina Salzer. I started with Hilti in 2011 uh, in our corporate research department. Uh, I have a civil engineering background and a big passion for research and innovation. Today, Corina serves as Hilti's head of regulations and approvals for anchoring. But earlier in her Hilti career, she recognized a unique opportunity to partner her master's studies with the Hilti Foundation's work in affordable housing and technology. It was a study, how could technology contribute to the social context of of housing for the low-income group? And from the start, it was clear that uh, it would not only be a technical problem we are looking at here, but there is a contribution technology can make to this problem. The Hilti Foundation also follows the principle that with the initiatives we support, we don't have to do it all ourselves. The opposite is the case. We have something to comp- contribute from our background, from our knowledge in technology or in business development, for example. But we are well aware about the complexity of the problem. So it was clear from the beginning that we would look for bringing people together that have pieces to contribute to the puzzle. 
And it so happened that we found the best possible expert in Colombia. Hello, everybody. I am Luis Felipe Lopez. I am actually original from Colombia, but living in the Philippines for the last seven years. Luis serves as the head of technology for the Base Baha'i Foundation and is recognized as a global authority on the properties of bamboo as a building material. His connection to bamboo and the journey that led him to his current role, well, that's a story all by itself. Okay, I will make this long story short because it's a long story. <laughs> but anyway, so I originally came from a small town in the mountains of Colombia, coming from a family of coffee farmers, by the way, three or four generations. And in Colombia, coffee and bamboo is a symbiotic relationship. So most of the houses that exist in the coffee region in Colombia has been built using bamboo as a structural material. So I grew up actually in a bamboo house in the coffee region of Colombia. But later on, I went to make my, my students my bachelor. And my, my contact with the material started, it's a funny story, making some furniture for my, my students' apartment. So I decided to cut some bamboos from the farm and my father's farm and make some chairs for our living room there with my, my friend. So we start to play with bamboo. So I'm talking to you 1996, more or less. And I realized that there was no technical information about bamboo at all. So nothing that you can use to design a construction. So I found like the inspiration. So I decided to start my, my thesis about these houses, the houses that I grew up. And coincidentally, there was a big earthquake in that area in Colombia. And all these old houses, those houses has had more than 200 years old already, some of them. So all those houses have a very good performance during that earthquake. Actually, there was no victims in those houses. So the 2,000 people died in concrete and masonry houses, not in these bamboo houses. So my, my thesis was focused on that research and the government decided to make a big, big research project about that system and included in the building code in Colombia. So I, the researchers know that I was working already in that topic, so they engaged me and put me in the research. So I, in a very early stage of my career, I was involved in a big research and, and, and a big project doing the, the building code in, in my country. And uh, around 2011, I will say, Hilti Foundation started to look for m ideas for more sustainable construction. I have. Uh, no relation with Hilti Foundation at that time, zero. Actually, I was not able to speak a word in English at that time. So I was living in Colombia in my Latin American world. So <laughs> that, that, that's all. And I'm not sure if you mentioned, but one of the difficult things for him was that he's such a fun guy. And when he started with English, he couldn't crack jokes in the beginning. And that was so difficult for him. Huh? All joking aside, Karina and the team knew that in Luis they had found a partner who shared their vision for what bamboo construction could be and how it could improve the lives of people living in the Global South. There's many advantages to, to use bamboo in construction. Of course, we had uh, requirements on the affordability, so that was one lever. Additional to that, there is advantages in, in, the, in the environmental uh, topic. So this is the fastest growing plant in Earth, uh, like the grass that grows in your backyard. 
but it's giant. I mean, it, you don't need to create big plantation. It's normally there beside the rivers and the creeks. So it's uh, easy to, to, to harvest to produce uh, material for construction. Also because the supply chain of bamboo involves a lot of people in the countryside that belong to the low income groups. So basically you have not only the impact because you, in the end you, you end up with the performing affordable house, but also because you create economic impact in the value chain. So from local sourcing and availability to environmental advantages, bamboo seems like a smart choice. But that doesn't really mean anything if it doesn't work as a safe and effective building material. The Philippines is located in a seismic area that also experiences typhoons on a regular basis. So in terms of construction, it presents some pretty unique challenges. So we are in a country with typhoons and earthquakes, and it's a bad combination because you need lighter for one and heavy for the others. So in an earthquake, you have the acceleration of the, of the ground and you have the mass of the structure. So combined mass per acceleration is the force that your structure have to resist. You have less mass, that is the only thing that you can control, you will have less force because the acceleration you cannot control is the earthquake itself. So so that is one of the reasons. The other is bamboo is so flexible. It's a material with a, a, a property very, very flexible, so it can have a big deformations and return to their original position without any damage. So so that also helps a lot. So the system was really good for earthquakes. It was tested for many earthquakes in Colombia, real earthquakes. But the question that the uh, Hilti Foundation, people in Hilti Foundation asked me was, what about typhoons? Because Philippines is a country with around 20 typhoons per year. So we are in the middle of the typhoon highway in the Pacific Ocean. So every year, more or less 20 typhoons touch any part of the Philippines, and around five of those typhoons could be category four or five. So we are talking about 200 kilometers per hour typhoons. So when they ask me that, I say, actually, I have no idea because we don't have typhoons in Colombia. <laughs> in South America, there is no typhoons. So all the typhoons happen in the Caribbean Sea. So I say, I don't know, but let's check. So Corina had the idea to build these three houses in one peninsula here in, in the Philippines. Uh, that every year one of the biggest uh, typhoons hit. It's like a, a, a magnet for typhoons, that peninsula. So we built these three houses with different level of structures. So the tail of the three little pigs. And here's how the tale goes. Three little pigs all need to build their own houses. The first pig rushes through it. He builds his house out of straw, then relaxes all day. The second pig puts in slightly more effort, building his house out of sticks. The third pig puts in the most work, choosing to build his house out of bricks. And when the big bad wolf comes along and attempts to blow down their houses, only the third pig stays safe inside his structurally sound home. To conduct their experiment, Luis and Karina also built three houses. And while they varied in their construction, all three structures were built with bamboo frames. And we installed some instruments like a satellite weather station and, and other things like that to monitor the, the wind, of course. So after seven months, I think, and um, the first typhoon hit these houses, it was a typhoon named Glenda. 
And we were monitoring the wind with this weather station until we reached 185 kilometers per hour. And we don't have more data coming from the weather station. So after five days, we arrived. And what we found was the weather station collapsed. So that's the reason we don't have more data. And the three houses were intact. No problems. Even the lazy pig, his house was okay. (laughs) So, so, So we were very happy, of course. So... Basically, what matters in the end for a building system is the system performance. It is not only the materials we build with, but that the whole system performs according to the impacts we are exposed to in a certain location. And once bamboo is established as a viable building material for both seismic and high wind locations, the Hilti Foundation went to work, putting these learnings into practice to provide safe and affordable housing for Filipino families. We joined forces in the Philippines to uh, bring our bamboo technology for housing to a larger, if not industrial scale. So we basically, well, well we've built 1,000 homes uh, in the Philippines with the base Bahay Foundation in the past six years. We felt this is a proof of concept and uh, that's that. That was the point when we joined forces with Habitat for Humanity and said, "What if we could build 10,000 of these homes in just one province of the Philippines, and create, in a sense, a, a visible example that uh, you can use bamboo as a building material for social housing, with the support from government in um, you know in providing the funds." with the support of many act- other actors in the field of creating communities that work. I have worked in international development for 15 years. I spent you know, about half that time actually living and, and working in, in the global south. Um, and in many programs where I've worked, housing was invisible. And where we did acknowledge housing, it was seen as a proxy for sort of household well-being, right? So you could see, oh, well, this this family has put a new roof on. They must be, you know, earning more income in this agriculture project that we, we had worked on. One of the things that I've realized since coming to Habitat, though, is that when you actually are talking to those families, yes, they want to earn more money. But, you know, the biggest asset that they'll ever own is their home. And so even in these poverty reduction programs, if we're not focusing on their home, we're not really focusing on what their priorities are. There's one um, example that sticks particularly to my mind. I spent a day with um, with this family where Marisa, the mother, is 46 years old and... Um, uh, works as a garbage collector, and I remember, you know, we spent three hours on this 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 dump site, and the the smell was just incredible. The way, you know, the the uh, garbage collectors work there under circumstances that um, that are hard to imagine, where, you know, they even have little tents on on top of the the garbage, where where they might sleep in between or eat. Um, and what I learned is that most of these families have. Um, at least one disabled kid in their family, and probably comes from um, you know being in this this environment. Um, so uh, Marisa told me 
she has seven kids and the seven, number seven is disabled. That's when the father left the, the family uh, and she had no other chance than continue to work on the, on the dump site. And um, basically she said, you know, moving into a bamboo house in this community was a life changer for her and for her kids because all of a sudden there was a safe place as compared to the slum where they would have lived before. Uh, she said, it's the first time that I can le leave my little daughter at home for a half hour because there's a neighbor that may want, may look for her. Um, I don't have to worry that there's rain coming, uh, coming in. And there was an experience where I learned so much about the, the um, living conditions of uh, the people that we served and the, the level of ambitions that, that they still have in terms of how they can improve their life. She basically said, you know, all I can hope for is that my kids escape this situation and will have a better life than myself. So having a partner like the Hilti Foundation is really important for an organization like Habitat uh, for Humanity. We There are not that many organizations that have housing as a as a key and explicit area of focus. And so having having another organization and another partner that cares about housing in the same way that Habitat does is is really important and is really transformational. You know, one of the best things about working with the Hilti Foundation is the the collaborative nature of the partnership and and their the way that the foundation works with us to design better programs that we can then implement um, uh, and, and bring more benefit to more people. It's important for us that we do not only see individual projects with their individual impact, but that we create a relationship with our partner organizations that is longer than just one project because we define a vision that we share and uh, we define approaches and models in which we work. And it takes time to develop this trust and this shared vision, uh, which, you know, which creates larger impact in the end for, for the families that we serve. There's a lot of things happening with the short-term horizon because, you know, that is typically how funds are being given and you expect to see results within a year. And the Hilti Foundation, for me, showed that we allow things to grow and we do know from our business side that if you start something new if you set a new trend if you define a playing field this is something which is a journey and sometimes takes time so it is our ambition to get stronger in the um, in the research field to create partnerships with leading research institutions across the globe and then to build a bridge into uh, fieldwork so that the technologies that we discover and that we help improve really make a difference. Good ideas are everywhere, and, and but we need people to execute it. So we need to find that people, and I am so glad that I found all these partners and colleagues. To learn more about the concrete bamboo technology we talked about in today's episode, visit base-builds.com. You can also check out the great work of Habitat for Humanity at Habitat.org.
In This Case is a production of Hilti North America. To give us feedback, ask a question, or share an idea for a future podcast, email HiltiDirect at Hilti.com. <laughs>